0: You need to go and deal with childhood trauma, you need to deal with your adult trauma, and if you try and escape because that's what people did you know a hundred years ago, five hundred a thousand years ago, you would run to the convent, go to escape the troubles of the world in the monastery, go be an anchorite, be in the desert, be in the in the forest, be a forest hermit, get get away from things and nowadays we don't have to. We have EFT in doctors' offices we have eft in hospitals we have eft in veterans centers we have eft doing it with people who have survived terrible terrible events and so clearing trauma is the first thing to do then when you clear trauma you then work on your potential and developing a spiritual practice developing meditation and then you start to hit the peak the mountaintop and that state of self transcendence
1: Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. You're about to hear an incredible interview. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast. This week, I have a phenomenal soul on the show, Dr. Dawson Church. He is an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books to his credit, The Genie in Your Genes, which was the first book to demonstrate that emotions drive gene expression. Then he wrote Mind to Matter, which showed that the brain creates much of what we think of as objective reality. Bliss Brain demonstrates that in peak mental states, rapidly we can remodel the brain for happiness. Dawson has conducted dozens of clinical trials and founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to promote groundbreaking new treatments. Its largest program, the Veterans Stress Project, has offered free treatment to over 20,000 veterans with PTSD over the past decade. Dawson shares how to apply these health and performance breakthroughs through his EFT Universe, one of the largest alternative medicine sites on the web. You're going to be blown away by today's interview. You know my love and power and desire to teach everyone the extraordinary techniques of loving oneself to create the ripple effect that will then go out into our families, communities and into the world. But today you're going to also love the fact that Dawson gives us the science in behind what makes us tick and also how to get rid of those limiting beliefs, those negative emotions, the traumas that have held us back in life. I think you'll also understand that through the power of EFT to eliminate those things, he also then gives you the other side of it, which is how to meditate. And today we talk a lot about the power of meditation. And there's a beautiful gift for you at the end of this, and you can just follow the show notes to, to get this, or just go to blissbrain.com, where you'll get a free copy of the book Bliss Brain. But what I'd love to ask in return for that, is that you go to Amazon and you give that a five-star rating. I want to help Dawson get a 1,000 five-stars for that incredible book on Amazon. So please, if you do happen to download the book for free, then please make sure that you actually take a little bit of time to go and give him that beautiful five-star rating. Also, if you go to uh, tapping or let me find the words for you, Tappinggift.com. Tapping as in T-A-P-P-I-N-G, gift gif dot com, you will also get a 60-page ebook on how to do EFT with a beautiful summary at the back of it and all the amazing points to trigger so that you can help release your trauma. I cannot recommend this enough and I am hugely humbled because I had the privilege of being on Transcendence 2, an amazing documentary series put on by FMTV and Gaia around the power of transcending into a beautiful, amazing space and I would just call that humbly love. I hope you enjoy this week's self-love podcast Please, I look forward to hearing from you on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison and the number 28, or Kim Morrison Training on Facebook, or you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Get ready. You're up for an incredible show. You might need a pen and paper, but this beautiful soul shares everything from an incredible place of love. Enjoy. Well, as you can tell, I'm incredibly excited. This beautiful human has been on my radar for a very long time. I have followed his work and I'm very humbled to say, also share the platform with him in the Transcendence video put out by FMTB Gaia. Dr. Dawson Church, what an honor and absolute privilege to have you on the Self Love Podcast.
0: Kim, what a joy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, look, you know, you have done a lot of work over your many years of study and looking into the power of the mind, how we think, how we feel. And in a time right now when the world seems so maybe segregated, maybe there's a lot of conflict, maybe there's different thoughts and feelings, it creates a lot of fear. And before we go into discussing that, I'd really love you to share with us why you have studied all the things that you've done and what is your passion and reason and behind all of the work that you do?
0: Kim, I'm highly motivated to see people not suffer. And there's some suffering that's inevitable, like you know, maybe you have some kind of, of genetic deformity, maybe you have some kind of financial situation or problem in your relationships, that you just can't solve. I mean, we all have our fair share of those. But that's a really small proportion of our problems. And one of the things that really grieves me when I, I do work with people like in, in live workshops. And I have people there in the hot seat in front of me, and I'm I'm having them share their stories. And they they look good. Maybe they have youth, they have health, they have wealth, they have affluence, they have wonderful jobs and careers, and yet they're miserable. <laughs> and I, I hear these stories, Kim, and I think, wow, you know. None of that suffering is actually objectively real. It's all created by worry in the mind. And what the way, the way our brains work is, our brains are simply built structurally by evolution to worry. It's the way our ancestors survived. So your ancestor obsessed about the tiger that almost ate her yesterday, and the tiger that might eat her might eat her tomorrow. And that part of the brain is called the default mode network because our brain defaults to that kind of worry whenever it has any spare capacity. So. When we are having a moment of leisure, when we close our eyes to meditate, when we aren't doing tasks, then the default mode network clicks on and we worry. And so people who have really very little object of threat to their survival are often consumed with anxiety, with depression, with stress. And I I just want that to stop because the tools we have nowadays in psychology and spirituality and body work and movement there are so many ways. There's such a huge weight of scientific evidence that this this stuff works. And I'm just, you know, I'm I'm at an age where a lot of people my age they're playing golf in the sunset. That's there is retirement and. I, I plan to keep on going till if, if, you know, if I live till a hundred, I'm, I'm going to be doing this at a hundred because I so want people to know that, that all those things that bother you, virtually all of them, all that suffering is, is it, you can be really, you can be released. And we have just a huge amount of science to prove it. So that, that motivates me to an extreme degree.
1: I find it fascinating because there was a time when I studied um, and I went and did meditation retreat over in India, and I had the privilege of being with His Holiness, the 12th Kenting Thaisa Tupa, who was the chief education of all Tibetan Buddhist monks. And I had a one-on-one with him, Dawson, and I said to him, could you please, and he said, what is your question? And I said, could you please tell me why humans have to suffer so greatly? Like why is this such? And he chuckled and he said, oh, very good human question. And he said, my dear, how can we possibly understand love without fear? How can you possibly understand high without low or light without dark? Um, You have to realize the dichotomies, the extremes
0: of life are actually what
1: creates the juice in life. Is that something you'd agree
0: with? In Chapter 7 of my book, Bliss Brain, I share the research on post-traumatic growth. And people think that disaster financial disaster, terrible divorce, car crashes, war, all of the the traumatic stress that people have causes PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And the research shows that's just not true. It causes PTSD, it triggers PTSD in about a third of the people who go through traumatic stresses. For the others, Kim, it triggers post-traumatic growth. And we have such a focus on trauma and our, our attention is so captured by PTSD, we forget that that's, while that is true for a third of the people, just for example, people who uh, went through the Vietnam War, about a third of them develop PTSD. People who went through the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, a third of them develop PTSD. Two thirds of them don't. And so the majority of human beings are resilient enough to at least keep on functioning after a disaster and often. It's the catalyst for growth. In AA, there's this there's this piece of, um, of uh, wisdom that you have to hit bottom. And you don't have to hit bottom, but adversity actually often calls forth the finest in us. So absolutely, that is definitely the way to look at it. And you can go further than that and, and not just say, well, adversity can, can trigger growth. Use adversity for growth. Use multiple adversities for accelerated growth. That is, that way, you turn them into a gift. I think it was Winston Churchill who said, never waste a good crisis. So... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, dear Dawson, we are in the middle of a huge crisis right now. The world is, is certainly segregated and certainly going through a lot of you know, thought processes. And I have to ask you this, as a doctor, as someone who obviously researches and understands research, what I find so fascinating... I don't have a university degree. I have done lots of study. But what I'm curious about is that whatever your belief, your values, what you actually see or perceive as the world as your viewpoint, you can find science to prove that. So how do we, as the general public or someone who's listening to governments and major institutions telling us how we should be living or what we should be doing or could be doing to save humanity, yet there is always science to prove both sides of the equation. How would you recommend to those of us that really are searching for the truth, if there's such a thing, in how to navigate our way through this?
0: Yeah, and what you do is you look for the threads of science, you look for the preponderance of evidence, you look for where the evidence shows that um, the, the real weight of, of reality lies. And just for example, meditation research, So there's a ton of research and notation that's been done over the last 30, 40 years, and it just is really compelling. And in this brain, I asked the question, what will move the needle fastest in terms of neural plasticity? And so we want to know what will trigger our brains to form positive neural connections. How can we get the neurons of compassion and love and gratitude and joy firing together. So they wire together and they wire that kind of a brain in us. And the research is really clear and it's, it's, it's unambiguous And about the things we do. We do certain things, you do certain things, certain practices, they trigger that. Other practices don't trigger it, don't trigger it very well. And in fact, what most people do when they meditate, like when I was a kid, I, was, I, was, I had a pretty miserable childhood and when I was 15 years old, as twelve, I remember I just hated every day of life. I wanted to just kill myself. I was so suicidal and miserable and depressed. And I just um, one day when I was fifteen years old, I walked past a full-length mirror and I stared at myself in the mirror. And I had a bag of books slung over my shoulder, and I had this long, long, long brown hair halfway down my back, and stared into those my my own face. And this thought popped into my head. That's the saddest face I've ever seen. And I realized I was so screwed up. I had to try and fix myself. So I went and lived on a spiritual community for a long time. I studied psychology. I tried all kinds of ways of becoming happier. And science is a great guy. Science will show you what to do. And a lot of the things I did back then at 15, 16, 17, were not very effective. The meditation master said, All you do to meditate is you close your eyes. And you still your mind and it's like, okay, I can close my eyes. Number one for first instruction I can, I can do effectively, but still my mind, our minds are not meant to be still our minds are meant to be highly active and looking out at our environment all the time. So I just came into this as, as a teenager, who was terribly depressed, suicidal, and miserable, and gradually found more and more answers over the next 30 or 40 years. And then really, whenever I, when I, I'm faced with a big choice, I see, what does science tell me? And sure, there may be a few outlier studies that are interesting or that contradict the bulk of the evidence. But you know, for example, meditation does so many good things for your, for your body at the level of gene expression, at the level of hormones and neurotransmitters, Bone density, muscle mass, skin elasticity, aging, telomere length. Telomeres are the molecules that are the main marker of aging. It, it, it increases your telomere length. So there's all this evidence. And so when I, I face these, these questions, I look at science, see what it tells us, and it gives us really clear directions, especially when it comes to things like self, self-help, like growth and meditation. And so you go and do what science shows works, And then, you don't do what doesn't work, which is what my meditation master told me all of those years ago. Just close your eyes and still your mind. You do things that are effective. And if you do things that are effective, I'll give you an example, a story that I I tell in the book of Graham Phillips, who's a a TV personality in Australia with a show called Catalyst. And on that Catalyst show, he wanted to learn to meditate. And so Graham Phillips said, I'm going to." go on a sick on an eight week meditation journey. I'm going to take my whole TV crew into uh, an advanced neuroimaging lab and do a workup on my brain, on my nervous system first. So he did that first, began to meditate, get mindful in two or three weeks behaviorally Graham Phillips was a different person. He was much calmer, much more centered, much nicer to other people went back into the imaging lab in eight weeks. They again, measured the volume of every part of his brain. And nowadays we have high resolution MRIs that can measure down to the level of a single neuron and different structures in his brain had grown by two, three or 4% in only eight weeks. But the part that grew the most was a sliver of tissue called the dentate gyrus which coordinates emotion regulation brain-wide. And his dentate gyrus, Graham Phillips's dentate gyrus, in just eight weeks, grew by 22.8%. This is massive neural change in only two months. If you have emotional regulation, then you aren't irritated or annoyed. You can maintain your emotional calm, you make much better investments, much better decisions, much better judgments. And so that ability to, to manage your emotions is vital. And with 22.8% more neural volume in the dentate gyrus, Graham Phillips was a much better human being. So that's the potential of this research based type of technique is that we literally are growing the happiness parts of our brain, the joy parts, the integration parts, the creativity parts, the productivity parts of our brain dramatically and quickly by doing effective science-based techniques.
1: Well, let's talk about that then because we know that meditation, everybody says to us meditation is one of the greatest tools. You you talked about that. Some of us would call it the monkey brain. It keeps chattering. It's very hard to still. But you also combine meditation with EFT. Could you explain to us a little bit more in detail with meditation for someone who's new to it? How would it be a great way to start by just sitting still? What can we do? What are some techniques? And then would you mind moving into that incredible technique of your EFT and talk to us about the power behind that?
0: Meditation can take you to the mountaintop. Read the poetry Read the interior castle of Saint Teresa of Avila. Read the Cloud of Unknowing. Read these. Read Rumi, and you see these people who were in these deep states. They weren't just happy, Kim. They weren't just full of self love. I mean, Saint Catherine of Siena is describing meditation and her her encounters with the divine in that in orgasmic terms. I mean, these people are. They're not saying I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> they're saying I'm feeling so mind-bendingly, orgasmically fantastic as I connect with the divine. I'm one with the universe. You know, I mean, this is where you want to be in meditation. So meditation can bring you to that mountaintop. Abraham Maslow uh, gave us this amazing structure of the hierarchy of needs with with survival at the bottom. And at the top, everyone says, you know, I ask people at my workshops, they come take workshops with me live or virtually. I say, what's at the top of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And everyone says, oh, I know what's what's there. It's self-actualization, top of the the pyramid, and you can get self-actualization. But actually, they're all wrong. Because Abraham Maslow, in the last year of his life, he was sick, he had a heart attack. He said, I was wrong about all that. The higher point, higher than self-actualization, is self-transcendence. You move like St. Catherine, like Rumi, like Hafiz, into these ecstatic states of self-transcendence and literally the parts of your brain, like the mid prefrontal cortex that constructs your sense of self shut down. And these people are drifting in this blissful oneness with, with, with the divine. So that's where you want to be every day in meditation. And you can get there really quickly and easily if you use the right techniques. So that that's, that's the what and the why of meditation. What you're doing actually, as you're doing exercises to train your brain to grow certain pathways and like Graham Phillips, make those pathways bigger and stronger. But unfortunately you can't get there effectively and permanently. If you're traumatized, if you were abused as a child or neglected as a child or bullied or hurt. And most of us were, most of us wind up after our childhood with a pretty big, Grab bag a of negative experiences, and they give us stories like i don't deserve love we have these 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 beliefs, core beliefs like i'm not good enough, my needs don't matter, and so we have this huge group of beliefs and when i when I watch young, healthy people in my workshops and they they're they're just their their lives are are twisted and constrained. Their, their potential is stifled by these core beliefs that I don't deserve. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve money. I don't deserve prosperity. I don't deserve all the wonderful things, the gifts of of life. So if you have trauma, it's really hard to move to the mountaintop. And so I teach those two things. The first is EFT because you have to go into the basement. And you have to clear trauma, and we've now done EFT with literally tens of thousands of veterans. We've done EFT with Rwandan earthquake, with with, with with Haitian earthquake survivors, with Rwandan genocide survivors, with survivors of the school shootings in different parts of the U.S. We have done EFT with highly traumatized people, and it's absolutely amazing. I worked with one young veteran who who'd been in Iraq, and he was a medic, and part of his job was dealing with people who were hurt and who'd been injured. And, and one day, he had a job to do as a medic. He had to clean the uniform of a soldier who'd been killed, who was a friend of his, to send that uniform home to his next of kin in the US. And so this young medic described for me how the smell of the uniform with body fluids and blood and all this stuff, often being out in the rocky sun for a few days, was so terrible, he literally had to Dip the uniform in cleaning solution, then run outside of the medic's hut and hyperventilate, take a bunch of air because he, could, he couldn't breathe in there, smells so bad. Then run back in, clean the uniform a bit more, run back out again. And so he was telling me the story, and we were doing EFT. And EFT simply has you tap on acupuncture points, which adjusts your energy flow while you re-experience the trauma. And so he wasn't just telling me the story; he was tapping and discharging all that emotional energy and all that stress. And initially his score on the emotional scale, zero through 10 was 10 out of 10. He said, this is one of the worst days of my life. It was a tragedy, which I'll never recover. He had all these stories about the, the day of cleaning the uniform and how it was sort of absolutely shattering ter- terrible experience it was for him. And as we tapped over the course of about 30 minutes, his number came down to a zero. And he just shifted. And this isn't one guy. This is seven randomized controlled trials. This is over a hundred studies of depression, anxiety, PTSD, phobias, pain, autoimmune diseases. It's amazing. The body of research on EFT is remarkable for its ability to bring people down. Three months later, I ran into the young man again, and he was still at a zero, and the effects hold. So you need to go deal with childhood trauma. You need to deal with your adult trauma. And if you try and escape, because that's what people did, you know, a hundred years ago, five hundred, a thousand years ago, you would run to the convent, go to escape the troubles of the world in the monastery, go be an anchorite, be in the desert, be in the in the forest, be a forest hermit, get get away from things. And nowadays we don't have to. We have EFT in doctors' offices. We have EFT in hospitals. We have EFT in veterans centers. We have EFT doing it with people who who survived terrible, terrible events. And so clearing trauma is the first thing to do. Then when you clear trauma, you then work on your potential and developing a spiritual practice, developing meditation. And then you start to hit the peak, the mountaintop, and that state of self-transcendence that Abraham Maslow described. And then you no longer have that dark side, pulling you down, sucking you down into trauma. You're able to, able to ascend into elevated consciousness. And that's why the book's called bliss You're living there in the state of absolutely stunning bliss. I was talking to somebody else earlier today, a friend of mine, a bestselling author. And she said, Dawson, I cry. I weep with gratitude in my meditations. And I do too. Sometimes Kim, I'm sitting there in meditation and I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude, I just burst into tears. I mean, there's so much love there in non-local mind, in the universe. For us, the only variable is, will you take the time to sit, breathe, and experience it? And if you do, it just floods you. So that's the why of doing EFT, clearing trauma, and then moving to these peak states without trauma, and then downloading all that love and gratitude and joy. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, so you're touched.
1: Really. I'm so touched by what you're saying. And it really resonates with me. That feeling I get when I'm meditating. I want people to know that they can download. Um, you actually offer meditations that people can use. So if someone's very new to this and it's like, okay, I'm going to go and get some EFT. I'm going to work with someone. I really want to do this. By the way, I did my family when we went through a very traumatic event of losing my sister-in-law to suicide, We all, me and the children and my husband all went through a beautiful therapist, spiritualist and psychologist who used EFT with us the whole way through. And she had this little tappy bear for the children (laughs) so that they understood. So I I really can advocate how powerful it is. But then the meditation, is there something simple and brief we can do that we can start? Because it's the practice, isn't it? It's the continuation. It's the accumulation effect of continuously committing to this. What would you recommend for a
0: newbie? For a newbie, use a guided meditation. Don't try and do it yourself like I did all those years ago in the ashram. Use a guided meditation. And we, I developed this technique called eco-meditation many, many years ago. And we've now done several clinical trials of eco-meditation. We've done EFT. We've done um, MRI, EEG studies, eco-meditation. And eco-meditation strings together heart math, self-hypnosis, Uh, mindful breathing, and several other techniques all in one group of seven steps. And we've now done research showing it very, very quickly calms the worried brain and lights up the compassionate brain. And so um, at Bond University, I worked with two brilliant psychologists, and we did this randomized controlled trial at Bond. And um, that was the end result, showing that in just a month of using those guided meditations, Use the guided meditations at blissbrain.com. Use that. They they will walk you through the process. They're about 15 minutes long. There are eight of them at blissbrain.com. They're free. So use those meditations. And we've shown now in this wonderful study at Bond University on the Gold Coast that it literally shifts brain function and it does it in less than 30 days. So use a guided meditation initially. Now, later on, after you've meditated for a few years, you won't need guidance, you won't need music, you won't need any kind of external support. Initially, it's really hard to focus unless you have guidance. So stick with the guided meditations as your very first step into meditation. And keep it short. The, those meditations on bliss brain are like 15 minutes long. Don't try an hour at the very beginning. And must be Michael get you.
1: (laughs) And your voice is so beautiful to listen to. I cannot recommend them enough. I really really do believe in that. I actually learned transcendental meditation when I was pregnant with my first child, and I just know it worked so well for me and it's something that I've practiced, but I love looking at all the different techniques. And I have to say that your eco-meditations would be up there hugely, especially when I feel overwhelmed, which is somewhere I'd like to go many people look at you and think you've got it all together. They, 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 they think that you, um, you know, you, you're a walking success, you've got a beautiful family, amazing children, business, you speak beautifully. Is there any side of Dawson Church that uh, perhaps sometimes isn't that person? And if so, what do you do to get through those tough times and challenges?
0: Well, for me, I orient myself to that non-local mind every morning first, before I check email, before I look at my phone, before I do anything. You wanna get addicted to just being one with the universe at the start of every day. And very, very occasionally something happens where I can't do that. Uh, Like I remember um, I was working on a project recently and we had to be on phone calls with our development team in India And it was really early in the morning, 6 a.m. my time. And I couldn't meditate for more than a few minutes before that because it was just so early. And so I noticed on those days, Kim, I just wasn't functioning at peak. And so that's that's what happens sometimes. Also, I have, you know, uh, life's fair share of problems to deal with. Last year, I was um, at an event and somebody um, was um, a, a very large man, lost control of his body. Fell on my foot and tore my kidney's tendon. so I, I and it was undiagnosed for about a month and a half while I was doing lectures and doing a bunch of stuff so so I, I had a very you know, difficult time then, then an operation, but i just I found I could just stay in that that space with meditation all the time, so after a while, that just is you and you've been so much remodeling using the miracle of neural plasticity. you are fundamentally in that space, but i don't have a perfect life I have challenges, I have ups and downs and so it, it's not what happens to you. It's how resilient you are. And you can then meet those challenges. And so when I was writing Bliss Brain, the publisher said to me, Dawson, don't just write a book about post-traumatic growth. Tell your story, at least in one chapter. So chapter one of Bliss Brain is called The Fire. And The Fire actually is has been almost four years now to, to, the, to the day when, when this happened. But The Fire was one of those bushfires that sweep through different parts of the world, sweep through Australia, sweep through California. And my wife shook me awake in the middle of the night. I looked at the alarm clock, it's flashing 12.45 a.m. I looked out the window, there was a glow on the horizon in in Northern California where I live. A glow on the horizon at 12.45 a.m. is not a good thing. So I jumped up and ran outside. And there was this brush fire just sweeping down the valley. And we had a huge, beautiful estate. And it was just sweeping down the valley toward us. And I just yelled at my wife, we're getting out of here right now. We literally threw on clothes, grabbed our car keys and our phones, sprinted for our car and drove out through the flames. It was was surreal. And we, got to a friend's house. We eventually got to, to a safe place about half an hour away, half an, hour's, half an hour's drive away. We then drove even further out to the ocean. And the next day, we texted a friend of ours who lived nearby and said we, we discovered she, her house had not had not been, been damaged. So we said, well, can you go over to our house and see how it is? And she texted us back these photographs, and it just showed flat terrain, with ash, a concrete slab, the chimney sticking up, and everything had melted. The the cars had melted, the washing machines and the office file cabinets had melted. Our office building was on the same property as the house. Everything was gone. And we realized in that moment, we no longer had a toothbrush. We no longer had shoes. We no longer had anything. And we went to the store to try and buy stuff a couple of days later, and guess what? Nobody else had anything either because the stores were completely cleaned out. Like the shoe department was totally empty, the the underwear department was totally empty. So, so, you know, we, we were, we, we, and we, we didn't just bounce back, you know, in, in two or three days, but after a couple of days, I woke up one morning and said to Christine, my wife, darling, it's an emergency. We have to do something right now. We have to meditate. And Kim on that day, just a couple of days after the fire, we meditated. And I literally felt my identity drop back into my body. I felt I was embodied again. And I realized I, I was fine. And I realized that <clears throat> love and compassion and joy and everything we had inside, we still had. So it was a profound learning experience, of lo- leave, losing everything. Later on, I tell the story in chapter seven of this brain. Again, most of the book is brain science and a lot of stories of people who have used that brain science. But in chapter seven, it's all about post-traumatic growth. And the fire was just the start of a series of calamities. After that, we not only lost our, 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 our office, all our records, um, we, a lot of people died in the fire. People we knew, eight people died within a hundred, a 1, thousand meters of our home. Uh, friends of ours were trapped in their garages, trapped in their homes. And so 22 people died in the fire, 5,000 homes were destroyed that night. And so finding housing was almost impossible. The insurance companies were housing people, you know, like uh, 200 kilometers away. I mean, it was, this was not an easy thing to, 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 um, to navigate. We had a huge financial crash. We, our business collapsed. A lot of our business went away. wasn't wasn't thriving. I pulled all my money out of my retirement funds to try and make payroll. And I can tell you, if you're in your 60s and you have to drain your retirement funds, it's not a really pleasant experience. And yet, I write in that chapter seven of this brain. I would meditate. (laughs) I'd I I'd be facing this financial disaster on top of losing everything, and other disasters as well. And I would write in my journal, and I would meditate, and I was in bliss. I was just in absolute bliss. I hadn't read the book yet. I was just meditating, entering these elevated states. And Kim, I was so insanely happy that nothing could 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 qualify that. So that was my reality. And of course, eventually we bounced, we bounced back, we made money again, we reopened new retirement accounts, we moved to a beautiful new home. So a lot of good things happened over the next couple of years. But um, we ha- we went through the fire, literally. And so I wrote the book this spring partly to show people just that. I don't have a perfect life. Uh, we had a child many, many years ago about, uh, gosh, 30 years ago, we had a child who died. Um, I've been through various business turmoil over, over the years. Um, things haven't been all that smooth in my life. But after a while, you are so anchored in the reality of love. You know, you tune into meditation and you realize the universe is love, the stuff of the universe. The consciousness of the universe is love. We are love. And you let go of your little local self, your little local preoccupations on the petty stuff that bothers you, and you tune into, again, what St. Francis of Assisi tuned into, and Hafiz, and all these great figures, and you realize we live in a universe that is just full of love. And so then the the, the question is, how do I access that? And that's where meditation comes in, you tap away your trauma with EFT, you then meditate, you Open your heart and your body and your mind to receiving the love the universe has for you. And you just cry because it it's so passionately loves you. It's so once you're good. And even if everything's gone in a, in a fire, even if all your money's gone, you still feel that sense of, of love. And so there's one image in the book that I, I, I print in the middle of the book because it just symbolizes to me. So the office was ash, just nothing but ash. And just this layer of ash, the computers melted, the steel file cabinets melted, everything melted. But there was a statue of a Buddha. And that statue had been stuck in the back of a storage cabinet many years before somebody piled some filing cabinet files in front of it, somebody piled piled small files on top of it. And for years, we just totally forgot the Buddha was there until everything burned down. (laughs) and so there's this amazing image of devastation and then the stone buddha didn't burn and there's the buddha in fact i'm looking at the buddha right now as i speak and i'm getting goosebumps and chills all over my body i'm looking at the buddha at this very moment and And the Buddha didn't burn. And so I write in the book about compassion can't burn, love can't burn, gratitude can't burn, goodwill can't burn, nothing worthwhile can burn or be destroyed. And so you have nothing and you have everything. And that's the message of Bliss Brain. You can be blissful no matter what.
1: Oh, It's so true. So beautiful. I want to ask you then from a science point of view, because... It seems so easy when you listen to someone like you. It's like I completely fallen. I've been covered in goosebumps the whole time you're talking. I also am looking at my Buddha right across the room, and I just, and I just, I just want to ask you though, from a science point of view. So let's say there's trauma as a child. There's these neurochemical loops. These these neurons that fire that life is hard. Life isn't easy. It's not fair. If we don't do the work on ourselves as we grow into adulthood, if we don't create new neurochemical loops or create new neuroplasticity where the brain can actually create new feelings, new hope, new opportunity, is that where people end up in a world of anxiety, depression, worry, and there's nothing that they can do unless they're aware of
0: this? Absolutely, because PTSD is the one psychiatric diagnosis that gets worse over time. And so according to the World Health Organization, depression, something triggers depression, you get depressed, the average depressive episode is eight months, according to the WHO. So eight months, depression, anxiety, you might be be really anxious for a while, but then it'll pass. So anxiety, depression, people usually get better from various other psychological diagnoses. they do not from PTSD. Because when you're firing those neurons of fear, of limitation, of belief over and over and over again, those neural bundles get bigger and faster and develop more synaptic connections. And the the amazing work of Eric Kandel, he won the Nobel Prize in 2000, for his work showing that in one hour of repeat stimulation, the number of synaptic connections in a neural bundle can double. And that's great if I'm firing the neural bundles of learning to play golf or learning to play chess or or learning to speak the love language of my husband or wife or child, or, or the, 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 if I'm firing the bundles of compassion and kindness, wonderful skill our brain has to relearn. But if we're firing the neurons of, of paranoia, of suspicion, of anger, of reactivity, those are getting bigger. So over time people with PTSD tend to get worse and you have to learn to shift that. Now, until just a few years back, we used to believe that once you'd had that trauma, it had been locked in the brain in what I call the trauma loop. And there's, there's a ton of science there. I won't go into it now. It's in this brain, but there's a trauma loop. It's a looping trauma. You cannot extricate yourself from it. You just can't. You can't think yourself out of it. You can tap yourself out of it, which is why I use EFT, but you can't think yourself out of it. So when the, the, the trauma is looping, we used to think that you were doomed. You just couldn't, couldn't escape. But there's this new field called memory, reconsolidation, and extinction. And now neurologically and behaviorally, experiments have shown that people recover under certain very precise conditions. And so I go to those in chapter seven of this brain, and you can become, you can literally retrain yourself, retrain your brain, get out of that trauma loop, and then start to break those those habits using the tools and techniques of memory reconsolidation and extinction. And you literally, like, overwrite your hard drive to where that thing that's so triggered you no longer does. I know, for, for example, I, uh, for, uh, I went I, I had an event that happened many, many years ago where somebody swindled me out of some money. I, I had a large amount of money involved, and I had a partner in a business, and he basically left with the money and, and uh, had no business. And so for a long time after that, I was really mad at him and would think obsessively about it. And then I just use some of these techniques. And very, very quickly, I rewired myself. Now I think about this guy, I feel nothing but compassion. He must have been suffering terribly to do that. And now people are mean or nasty or say insensitive things. And somebody can, you know, can, can do something. Like just, for example, I was driving down the road the other day. And there was there was a I was on my way to teach at a big Institute called Omega Institute. I was driving down the, the freeway and the speed limit is 65 miles an hour. And so I was driving 65 and, and there was this guy in a BMW M series, super hard sports car. And he was driving a hundred miles an hour. It's about 140 kilometers an hour. And there was another guy behind him and they were playing drag racing through the traffic at a hundred miles an hour and scaring people who were really afraid of these two crazy drivers just weaving in and out of traffic. And, you know, I just tuned in and thought thought to them, you know, you guys are stressing yourself. Probably you're doing this to take your mind or other problems in your life. Bless you. And you just, people, even if they, they hurt you, they injure you, they insult you, you just have nothing but compassion. That person who's hurt you and insulted you, they're suffering. That's why they did it. If they said something mean to you, I can guarantee you the self-talk they have in their heads about themselves is much worse than what they said to you. Have compassion on them. Love them no matter what. Love them no matter what they say or do. And again, that way you liberate yourself from entanglement with all of their, their energy. And then you have a chance to create your own reality. So it's powerful to use those techniques. There are these techniques that extra ext- extricate us from that. We can use memory reconsolidation and extinction. Even with strongly conditioned behaviours, we can learn to change and shift our reality.
1: Powerful, and what a, what a treat for people listening to this to know there is answers because so often we get told there's not. So I'm very grateful to your work. I'm curious around, I, I've heard the saying, the statement, Hurt people hurt people. And yes. I think that's what you're alluding to because that's how I see it. I remember driving down the freeway one day with my then 90 year old grandmother Dawson. She was sitting next to me, and this guy actually was driving like that. He cut me off. And I was trying to get my hand out the window to do a gesture and say, and my grandmother goes, Oh dear, I hope he's okay. And I went, what? And she goes, she goes, oh, no, he must have just had some terrible news. Maybe his wife's hurt or having a baby or maybe one of his children. You just never know, dear. And in that moment, everything changed. It, it was one of those moments where I turned into, I mean, he could have been an idiot. But then, like you say, if he's being an idiot, there's usually other stuff going on. So I really appreciate that. A word you said recent, just prior to this particular conversation was Resilience. And it's something that I notice, you know, as parents, we want to protect and guide our children We want them to grow up to be strong individuals, but we don't want them to be hurt. We don't want them to suffer. We don't like to see people suffer. And then we end up protecting or overprotecting or helicoptering or whatever it is. What are your thoughts around allowing us as parents to let our children grow through what they go through?
0: two things from when my oldest son was a baby. This is more than 30 years ago. um, I uh, remember watching him with our cat. And he was kind of stroking the cat, but he was probably two years old. Then he was pulling the cat's tail, pulling the cat's ears. And it was pretty obvious the cat was getting annoyed. And then the cat looked at me really, Deliberately, the cat was like looking at me. And then the cat looked at Lionel, bared her claws, and scratched him. And he never bothered the cat again. <laughs> he was gentle after that. And it was like the cat was looking at me and saying, okay, now I'm gonna teach this kid a lesson. You, you know, you you should be okay with that, right? This is the way I would, I would treat my, my kittens. And so another time um, he was, I remember one, one, one neighbor of ours was really afraid we had wood stoves and that, that the kid would burn themselves in the wood stove. And he, he'd see the flickering wood stove light flames through the glass in front of it. And so again, one of our neighbors was paranoid and she was actually, she put up a big barrier around her wood stove. But one day Lionel walked up to the wood stove and he reached out his hand and I watched him and he touched that beautiful flickering light. And let out a yell, pulled his hand away, and never touched the wood stove again. (laughs) So, um, you know, you you let your kids have their experiences. I remember uh, I I got divorced from my wife eventually, and um, after about 10 years of of, of parenting with her, and she's a wonderful person. She was actually over here at our house a few days ago, just we were just hanging out together and talking. So I'm, I'm really close to my ex wife still. I remember once when Lionel was an adult. And we saw him making a decision, a choice. And we, we long since been divorced. We just phoned each other and said, "You know, he's making this choice. We it's probably not the best choice. What do we do?" And my precious ex-wife just said, "Dawson, let it be his choice." And so you know, let kids have their own autonomy. That doesn't mean you, you know, you throw them in, in, at the deep end of the pool without a swimming lesson, <laughs> within reason. But you know, let let kids develop nowadays. Parents are so protective, but in, you know, in the, in the fifties and the sixties, people let their parents, let their kids run around and play and explore the neighborhood and eat dirt, eat dirt, eat dirt. I really recommend you let your kids eat dirt. It's full of micro microbes, which will bolster their their, their, their gut microbiome. So all kinds of good things happen from eating dirt. (laughs) Be wise, but um, let kids experience
1: yeah, I think it's really important. And also, too, I know in hindsight, when I look back on some of my toughest times in life, they've also become who, what have made me and created me to be who I am and why I do the work that I do. You have a huge heart. You have an incredible ability to show compassion and love. And I'm just curious, what's your definition of self-love?
0: Self-love is the language you speak inside your head when nobody sees you or hears you. And if you are able, when there's nobody there to see you or hear you, if you're able to love yourself, then you can change and shift and grow. Carl Rogers was a great psychologist in the 1950s, and he founded this branch of psychology called Client Centered Therapy. And he said, The paradox of change is that. Only when we love and accept ourselves just the way we are with all our flaws and imperfections are we able to change. If you are using the conventional way of catalyzing change, you're saying, you should quit smoking, you shouldn't eat so much, you should quit doing so many video games, you uh, should be exercising more. The way we try and motivate ourselves is very coercive. It's like that, that bullying football coach just saying, you do this, you do that, you shape up here. And a lot of the personal growth um, industry, Kim, I don't agree with because it's always coaches and personal growth people saying, you need to shape up and be better. And we already have enough voices in our heads saying, shape up and be better. How about just saying, I love you. Just the way you are. Like, I work with a lot of, lot of women, especially uh, in our weight loss programs. And I've done several clinical trials of people losing weight. And that's the first thing we get rid of. We just let them off the hook and say, I love and accept myself right now at the weight I am. And guess what? they lose weight, and they don't get, don't, don't re- regain the weight. In one clinical trial published, you can look these up on, on, on PubMed if you want to look up these studies I did, but the one study, people lost in a six-week program, they lost about um, five pounds. In a year, they lost 22 pounds. They keep on losing weight off the program. And it's all based on self-love. It's not based on self-criticism or saying you can't do this, you can't eat that, you have to have willpower. We say, just love yourself, hold yourself, love yourself just the way you are. And when you do that and quit trying to coerce yourself into change, as Carl Rogers said 70 years ago, he said, "The he called this the paradox of human transformation. When you love and accept yourself, you free up your energy for change. And so self-love is this is the the dialogue in our heads. And When I work with people in live workshops or or talk to people sometimes in big Zoom calls, they are often having so much self-criticism inside their own brains. And that's paradoxically the very thing keeping their problems firmly nailed in place. So with EFT, the basic statement is, tap on your side of your hand, and you talk about the problem, whether it's pain, whether it is depression, anxiety, whether it is uh, trauma, you tap on that point and you say, even though this thing happened, and this thing that happened really sucks. Nevertheless, I fully and completely accept myself. I love myself. That is the fundamental statement of EFT. And it works just miraculously well.
1: Can you tell me then with regards to the EFT and those points, those acupressure points, how did that come about? How did we know to tap on the hand, the forehead, under the eyes
0: and on the shoulder and things like that?
1: What, what are those points? Could you explain those to us?
0: Yeah, acupuncture theory says that there are 14 meridians running through the body and they come to the surface in points. There are about 365 points in the body where they come to focus and they come to the surface. And they run in these fourteen flows channels, and what we tap in EFT is the end points of those meridians. And so we tap on those points, and that regulates them. So you can use acupuncture, but most people aren't trained to do it. So we just have tapping acupressure instead. But that's what those points are. And the, the cool thing is, I could, I, I, I if, if we were doing a visual here, I'd show you some instruments that actually measure them because you can run a galvanometer over the surface of the skin and you find the points. And those points, Kim, are in the same locations that 2,000-year-old Chinese scrolls show. So these energy healers back then, 2,000 years ago, actually going back 5,000 years in some cases, could read energy, could see energy, and they made these images on these scrolls. Now we have a galvanometer and we measure skin conductance. And we find those points are exactly where those 2,000-year-old scrolls show us. So there's a huge amount of wisdom in these ancient cultures.
1: Is there anywhere we can go to follow your work more? Bliss Brain, we've talked about a lot. And could you just share with us the story around how incredible the gift that you have for us? And perhaps there's somewhere we can go to look at those Buridian points for the EFT. Could you give us some guidelines?
0: Yeah, so to get a copy of the book Bliss Brain, just go to blissbrain.com because you also get the eight free meditations there. And then to get the free EFT manual, you want to go to tapping, just like tapping, gift, G-I-F-T, tappinggift.com, and you get the free download of the manual there. And then on the on the back of it is, I think, 60 pages long. very last page is a quick summary of EFT on a single page. But the cool thing about tappinggift.com com is that we've also recorded a meditation there on boosting your immunity. And we were really surprised to look back on some research we did in 2017, long before the pandemic. We were measuring cortisol in people doing either a weekend or a week of meditation and tapping. These people were tapping, meditating, and we were measuring their cortisol levels and the cortisol was going down. We also measured their levels of antibodies that protect the human body against the spike proteins on coronaviruses. And these are called immunoglobulins. And we also measured that as part of those two clinical trials in 2017. And they had a huge effect on both cortisol and immunoglobulins. Cortisol in a week on average went down 37%. So your main stress hormone is plummeting. We found people's immunoglobulins, their body's first line of defense, against viruses and bacteria. They went up by 113% in just a week, and again, you can go to pubmed.gov, the US government's research website, to find those studies, go to read the primary research, or just download the manual from tappinggift.com, use the immunity meditation there, and just boost your immune system naturally in those ways
1: so beautiful and incredibly generous of you yet again with the work that you do it is an honor for me to have you on the show but also to know that i feel very proud to have been on transcendence too with you sharing my indications and my stories and my love of self-love and the book that i'd written called the art of self-love and i'd really love to to reach out to you and just say that thank you thank you for the work that you do and for all the science that you bring with it Because I think that is where the doubting um, can get put in its place, for want of a better word, or the questioning gets answered even better. I think what I've learned from you more than anything is that there's, if we have persistence and discipline around self-love, which in all honesty, if we can release the trauma through EFT and then enhance our love, joy, and compassion through the power of meditation, then no matter what's going on in the world, I think what you're saying to us is that we have the power to ride this. This is a season. It's not a lifetime thing we're going through right now. And one of the greatest gifts we could give to humanity is showing up in the way that you've just talked about today. Is there a a final message you would have for the self-love podcast listener?
0: Self-love is the foundation of wellness. And whenever you are confronted by a situation, just tune into your heart, drop in there, be in your body and just immerse yourself in that space of self-love. And whenever you hear those critical voices in your head, they're trying to help you. I mean, they're trying to protect you. They're trying to have a useful role in your life. And they aren't the truth. The truth is that you are love. The stuff of the universe is love. When you tune into non-local mind, non-local mind is love. And there is so much love there for you you too will weep with gratitude and joy when you tune into it. So this, these aren't small emotions. These are big, powerful emotions. They can radically shift your mind and your body. So self-love really is at the core of everything, and it comes to me in tune with the universe and the infinite love of non-local consciousness for us all.
1: So beautiful, and thank you. There is no greater energy. There's no greater, greater vibration healing Force on this planet than that of love and self-love, so I'm really grateful to the work that you do and for this interview. Just to finish off, then, my dear friend, would you happen to have a favourite quote that you would share with us on this show?
0: I uh, I'm just looking through the quotes on my website here, and here's a beautiful one from Lao Tzu, an ancient Chinese philosopher. If you want to awaken all of humanity, that awaken all of yourself. If you want to eliminate the suffering in the world, then eliminate all that is dark and negative in yourself. Truly the greatest gift you have to give is that of your own self transformation. So that's what Lao Tzu said many thousands of years ago, just be in that space, love yourself enough to be kind to yourself and your thoughts and your actions make those commitments to your own well-being, meditate, tap, let go of things that hold you back, and love yourself enough to commit yourself to this path of transformation.
1: Dr. Dawson Church, thank you so much for being on the Self-Love
0: Podcast. (laughs) It was a joy, Kim. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to the Self-Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com.